When you find yourself between here and there, the now and the then, it can feel difficult to embrace life and all that it has to offer, especially when you feel like you haven't arrived yet. Wherever you're at though, we wanna help in that beautiful struggle of transitioning well through aspects of faith and life with The Places Between, a podcast all about transitions. Hi, I'm your host, Wendy. I'm a storyteller and a creative with a passion for adventure, fitness, and faith. What began as a love for travel, experiences, and community turned into helping clients around the country tell their own stories and inviting others to join them. I've always been passionate about people fully living. That means navigating those places between, opening up a safe space to have conversations and encouraging growth along the journey. So join me as we explore what it's like to transition well on the places between. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Places Between podcast. I'm your host, Wendy, and I'm thrilled for what we have in store for you today. Today, we get to hear from a good friend and colleague of mine. With his wealth of experience in film and marketing, he also has a passion for using business as missions and is literally saving lives and impacting thousands of lives globally. His work in India is breaking the cycle of poverty in the slums of Calcutta, as well as bringing clean water access around the world with his company, Vivo Blue. I personally know John, though, through our many events fighting human trafficking, through SHIFT, an anti-trafficking organization that aims to empower to prevent trafficking through awareness and conferences, plus our creative work to bring stories of life through film has been a ton of fun. His heart for the poor and marginalized is evident in our daily conversations and his desire for everyone to encounter an authentic relationship with God has really had me undone at points of our friendship. And lastly, being just a few years into marriage to an awesome friend of mine too, Krista, John and Krista just recently welcomed a new baby into their family and we're excited for the journey they're on together as a new family. It's with a huge and humble heart and privilege that I get to introduce my good, good friend to you, John DeYoung. Once again, I'm hoping you'll pull up a chair, grab a coffee, and dive in with us to the places between. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Wendy. I'm I'm honored to be here as always. I'm sure that we could literally talk for hours surrounding the subject of transitions and navigating Uh life. But as we dive in and get to know you, John, a little bit more, let's start with an overview. Tell us, who is John? What does the world see? You can talk a little bit about your beginnings, where you are today. The floor is yours. (laughs) That's a dangerous place to put me, Wendy. (laughs) (laughs) I am first and foremost a child of God, and because we now have a new baby, there's nothing I can do to actually maneuver that away. But what I can do is rebel against my Lord and Savior because of free will, and that's where we struggle so often. As an abandoned child from South Korea, from the little town of Suwon, being adopted around the age of five and a half, six, something like that, I didn't have a last name. 
first name, middle name. We don't even know exactly when I was born and we don't know my parents. And so I was on the streets for a while. And so I think what's really cool is that who I am is this really cool story and metaphor of like just God's love and His grace, because there's so many things that could have happened in my life and many things did happen. I mean, I I went through a lot of seasons in my life where God was not my friend. He was not my savior. He was nothing I wanted to deal with at all. In fact, I just had lunch with a couple of my employees and we were just specifically talking about, man, how difficult it was when we were younger to really receive the love of God. I mean, we knew about, I knew about him. I was educated. I went to youth group, church 17 times a week. My parents were really good at making sure that I knew Jesus and I knew the word, but none of it actually sunk in. And so I don't think that I was fully living at my full potential because I was doing everything I can to interrupt what God had for me. (laughs) You know, I was interrupting it with drinking and womanizing and my pride and my arrogance and making really, really crazy decisions along the way. And, you know, when I look back, I'm like, Why did I ever think I was the exception to the rule that alcoholism doesn't destroy your life? Why did I think that I was the exception to the rule that if I just denounced God, that I would be happier and find more joy in my life? Why did I think I was the exception to the rule that if I womanized women, that I would find fulfillment in just pure sex? Like, I mean, (laughs) in history and time, we've known that none of that is fulfilling, but I was the exception to the rule because maybe I was John Diaz. But if you think about that, that's an extreme amount of arrogance. So who I am today, I'm a much more settled in, wiser, humble, actually I'm more of an open book and a platform or, or, or something that can be actually still utilized and designed. There's a lot of work yet to be done in my heart, a lot of work to be done in my life. But instead of me being the one to drive the car, I feel like, I think I am allowing God to do more of that in my life. And, and, and out of that, I've, I've found myself. You know, I, I found love. I found acceptance and grace and mercy and forgiveness and just joy and a deep rooted sense of, I'm good. Thank you, God. <laughs> you know, thank yeah. you, praise Jesus. So, you know, when you look at the alcoholism, womanizing, attempted suicides, all the things and just a foul mouth. So I don't think we need to talk. My, my mouth was foul. I was worse than a sailor, man. I didn't have a vocabulary longer than five letters. It was just weird. When you come forward into a place where I am today, I'm in a way better spot. To me, it's evidence of the true work that God can do in somebody's life in just bringing them along the way. You're right. It is. It is. Thank God that he gave me multiple chances as I tried to commit suicide multiple Mm -hmm. times in my life. God was like, I have things for you. So you're going to live and I'm going to put people in your life so that along the way, you will know me. I'm sorry. You're going to know me. I mean, his pursuit for me was relentless. His love for me was reckless, right? In that sense. I mean, we love the songs and the worship songs and the things that are being said, but I'm living proof that he relentlessly pursued me and he's just, his love is reckless over me and it's just really cool. So yeah. You said you grew up in church and you still experienced like the rebellion, which I'm sure many of us can relate to. For me, my party years were in high school, even before I even got to a legal age. (laughs) I always knew God and I knew about Jesus. For me, my relationship with him didn't start until the end, very, very end of high school when I was like, oh, I think I need this. 
for you, when did your knowing of God transfer into a relationship with God? What did he do? I'm a slow learner. You can ask my mom and dad. (laughs) I'm a slow learner and I'm very hard headed and stubborn. So it was around the age of 27. I was very drunk, very depressed. I was making a lot of money. I had some sort of fame because my professional dancing and performing and all of that. I had a dance studio that I was working with in a partnership with another gymnastics studio. Very, very successful business. Making a lot of money. Popular. Had some minor fame. And miserable. Because I was Mm -hmm. teaching children during the day and womanizing and drunk at night. I knew that the choices I I were making did not reflect and align with my design. But I couldn't help myself to make these decisions continually until I spiraled down into some sort of depression where I just raised my hands to God with a bottle of Jack Daniels in my left hand and a pistol in my right with three hollow point bullets in it to make sure that I was going to die. I went down to my roommate's room because I wanted to make sure he was part of my suicide. And he woke up as I was about to pull the trigger. He grabbed my gun, punched me in the face, grabbed my bottle, and said, God loves you. You're the asshole. You. And it was this really pivotal moment in a drunken stupor where all of the things that I had learned as I raised my hands. So I did, I did say this to God. I said, if, if, you know, if you love me in my head, if you love me, you would stop me. And he used my friend. Wow. <laughs> and a good punch square in the jaw, which really knocked me down. But that theology is still true. God loves yeah. us. We're the assholes. And that pivoted everything and, and it like downloaded so much truth and revelation of who I was, what I'm doing, and who he is, and what he has been doing in my life. And it just like the next day I was like hung over. But like, whoa, you do. You know, I don't need to fight you anymore. I don't need to fight you like I fought my parents about adoption. I didn't need to have this attachment disorder with God. God's like, there's no need to have that attachment disorder with me. It was a really cool thing. And since then, no drinking and all that stuff. And and non-drinking doesn't, it's not a symbolism of your awesomeness and and whatnot. I just know I have an addictive personality. (laughs) I shouldn't drink again. But since that time at 27, okay, the journey really began, right? It was really cool. And it's been, and it's been, and it's getting better every year and every day, every day, every year that I've been living my life, serving the Lord, serving people, putting other people in front of me a little bit more. I mean, I'm still selfish in a lot of ways, but yeah, joy, In peace. So that's awesome. Well, as we all are selfish to a certain extent, it's I think that's part of our our DNA. The beautiful thing about God giving us a free will is that He's never forcing us. He's just saying, In all your selfishness, are you going to choose me? Yep. You grew up, you were working or co-owned a dance studio. You were also doing film and media, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, I was. And then this wild transition of bringing you to Colorado happened. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about your transition to go teach film at Valor High School? Yeah. So God would have it that I'd be a roommate with this gentleman by the name of Ari Rignalda, one of my best friends. And we hadn't seen each other in decades. I was doing film and dance. 
He was the new art director of Valor Christian High School. And while I was, and this is not even an exaggeration, while I was signing the next deal, which was going to make me a ton of money in media, he calls me and I haven't heard from him in years. And I'm like, oh no, maybe something happened with his wife, his child. I didn't know, you know, his children. So I answered it immediately. And he asks me about becoming a teacher. In Colorado. Is that how you responded? With yeah. <laughs> I guess I was like, why would I do that? No offense. Well, <laughs> no want to. And so, so for a couple of months, he kept on calling me, maybe probably every other day, every couple of days and said, you know, John, I've prayed about it and it keeps coming to you. Yeah. And I said, well, well, Ari, I've prayed about it. And no, I haven't heard anything from God. And to be honest, I wasn't praying. He's like, you know what, go to the website and just check out the mission and vision statement of Valor Christian High School. And it's to prepare tomorrow's leaders to transform the world for Christ. That was wow. the mission statement. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, that's interesting. And he's like, John, imagine a place where you could help develop the next generation in film and dance. And we were looking at either buying or purchasing, not purchasing, hiring um, a part-time dance teacher and a part-time film teacher. I'm like, hey, I know the guy who does both, which is almost it's really great for Bollywood. If I ever did a Bollywood film, I could do both of those, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I'm really designed for Bollywood. And so that's a, that was a really cool conversation I had with Ari. And and we did this for a couple months. And then he said, you know what, why don't you just come and meet, meet the head of school and just interview at least. And I said, okay, I would do that. So what I did is on the airplane, I prayed to the Lord and just made a commitment to God. said, listen, if this school hires me, I will, I will abide. I will, I will abide. I was mature wow. enough to at least do that. But then I also was honest with God and said, I'm going to make it as hard as possible for them to hire me. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm just going to make it almost impossible for them to hire me so that if they do, I know that it's not man hiring me, it's you. And so I went to the interview. I don't think I even filled out a resume. I didn't apply. I just showed up. In shorts, flip-flops, and a t-shirt and a hat. Stinky, didn't shower. And my friend Ari was like, you're not going in like this. I said, I am. Sorry. Then I ended up telling the head of school, hey, listen, I'm a college dropout, ex-drunk, a lot of things. I don't even like kids, blah, blah, blah. You know, just the pitch. Oh, my God. I just told them, I'm the, I'm the worst person you want to hire because I don't like academia. I think many schools, if not all schools, just teach people to follow and not lead. Even though you all talk about leadership, you really are just teaching people how to follow. Because if people get out of line, guess what? They're reprimanded and they're, and they're taught to go and stand in line. They're taught to do right. all of these things. You talk about leadership, but the whole academia is based around fellowship. Wow, that's so I, true. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't want to do this. Wouldn't you know it? He freaking hired me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's amazing. So God, God really wanted me to come. And uh, so I, I abided and it was, it was a very difficult decision, but I trusted the Lord than I, more than I trusted me. The, the contract that I was signing was a multi-million dollar contract. It was over $30 million. And I stepped away from that to teach high school kids, which I go back to like, thank God I did that. Thank the Lord I followed through on my commitment and thank God God followed through on his commitment. Yeah. And it was really, it's probably the best decision I've ever made in my life, minus my wife and my child and some other yeah. ones. But if you think about career paths, God really used valor to really take me to the next step. And that's just really has been a beautiful, beautiful, uh, beautiful thing. I love, wow. I love that. So yeah. I love that. Isn't that wild how 
We think it's just a career transition and career transitions are, they are really big, you know, included a move for you. Then when in hindsight, you know, hindsight is always 2020, you look back and you're like that actually radically interrupted and saved the trajectory of my life. One decision. Bingo. Shabango. Bingo. A hundred percent for that one, Wendy, because I, I do believe I was sort of on a trajectory because I was starting to become pretty successful in my business. Yeah. I was identifying success as my identity and it was coming with a dollar value. You know, mm-hmm. some people are like, well, when I make my first $100,000, this is what it is. And some people are like, when I make my first million, some people are like, when I make my first 10 million. But I tell you what, no matter what money level you hit, right. it cannot define or it does not shape your character. Or your heart. It's finances. It's just money. You know, it's a bunch of trees pressed into, you know, flat bills with green print. I mean, that's what it is. And then we we give that so much more value than the heart of a man or heart of a woman or the trajectory of their life or their character or their relationship with Jesus Christ and others. Like how how does a piece of paper define anything about me? Yeah. Except for the fact that I have more paper than you. Wow. Yeah. I haven't thought about it that way. So yeah. I'd love to dive into some of the things that you're doing today. When did you grow a heart for other countries being from Korea? Did you want anything to do with Korea? I know that you had the opportunity to travel with Valor. Can you talk some about that? My heart for other countries sort of was synergetic with my experience in other countries. So as I experienced more countries, my heart kept on growing. There is something to say, if you want to know more about Jesus, get to know more about the people around, right? Mm -hmm. The more people you know, the more different types of people you know, you're probably going to get to know a little bit more about Jesus and who he is and his love for his people. And so uh, the very first year at Valor in 2007 and 2008, I went to India and that just rocked my world. I went to Calcutta, India with Terry Adams, Ty Heckelman, and some other leaders and 26 Valor kids or 24, 26 Valor kids. And I was there to film and document the trip. But what happened is, the experience and the soul of India went through the lens and spiked my eye and into my heart. And it just like wrecked me, right? Like you can't stop God working through that. And that lens just really wrecked me. And then since then, I've been to India 26 times and in 31 countries. So I've been, you know, Valor was a huge component and a player in being being able to travel the world and experience the world and in the poorest of the poor areas and some of the richer, the richest areas. Being able to experience all different cultures and all different types of people and how God is working in every single person's life, like singly. You know, when you're standing in Calcutta, Wendy, you know this, there's 27 plus million people in Calcutta and you're holding a child that's like three years old in my school. You're like, God cares about this kid. Yeah. And this kid in that 27 million, God is like, like he's just working and shaping and, and cares about what he eats, what he drinks, what he listens to, how he's interacting. And, and God cares so much that he would bring you and me all the way over to America just so he, the three-year-old, can experience the love of yeah. Jesus. That's that's an amazing amount of detail. And then within that, the detail of God bringing us together, Wendy, and his sovereignty and his ability to put the dots together in yeah. so many million ways so that you and I would meet, 
so that when I went to India and invited you, you would experience that with Jesus Christ, right? And my love for the countries and love for the people just kept on growing and growing, growing. It started in 2007. And, you know, me and a couple of families together started, you know, working with Mahadeb in 2014 or 15. And we started Momentum Global. The same year we started Shift Freedom. The life map of that is unbelievable. Well, okay. So let's talk a little bit more about India. For those that are listening, John is the founder of Momentum Global. You can talk a little bit about that. And then I had the privilege and honor of going to India with you guys on your 19th trip. But I know you had taken a ton of students there. And I'd like you to share a little bit about what brought you into the place of doing something about human trafficking. You know, if you want to give that crazy wild experience. (laughs) Yeah. I've heard about human trafficking. You know, you hear a little bit about it. And because we were going to India, I was doing a little bit more research with Danielle Sisk, who at that time was the executive director of Dalit Freedom Network and was working with OMI, which is Operation Mobilization India. Danielle was educating me on, hey, John, this is human trafficking. It's divided into sex trafficking, exploitation and labor trafficking. And then there's human body part trafficking, which is the darkest, darkest. There's just a lot of dark stuff going on with trafficking in that sense. And so I was getting being educated by my good friend, Danielle Sisk, in that as we were going back and forth to India, and then she came to India with me and helped to lead a trip. And then so one time we were there seven years ago, I was standing in the Mother Teresa home of the dying and destitute, which is the first home that Mother Teresa started where she went out to the untouchables and was bringing them in to give them a, a, a dignified place to not only just have their last days, but they would be prayed over and they were fed and they were more comfortable. Instead of dying in the streets, they're going to die with a friend and they're going to die with some more dignity. And and then that's the whole ministry of Mother Teresa was launched from that particular home. And so I was in there praying for the bed of the men, all the men's beds in in that section where the men were and the kids were over there where the women were and they were doing some renovations inside that area and so i was just praying on the beds just saying man whoever lays in these beds i just pray that there's an opportunity and and, and where someone's going to talk to you about them about the love of god right and just care on them and love on them and 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 all that and then i felt this presence behind me and i turned around it was probably a 10 or 11 year old girl and she was holding a little baby and she was asking for money. And I said, well, we, I can't give you money, but I can give you food. And she's like, no, I want money. And she was using yeah. hand gestures to do that. I'm not going to give you money, but if you don't want my granola bar, then that's okay. And so I just turned back around to pray a little bit more. Still continue to feel this uh, young girl behind me. I turn around this time. She's not there with the kid. I mean, the, the child isn't there, her little baby sister, or maybe oh, wow. just whoever she had. It was just her. And she had a little rat, sort of like a, just a little dress on. You know, obviously she was a Dalit. She was untouchable. She was very poor. And as I looked down, I got a little bit closer to her. I was probably 10, eight feet away from her. And I got a little bit closer and got more to her level. And I saw that she had a little bit of like eye makeup on and something. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. Yeah, That's interesting that she has a little bit of eye makeup on. Didn't think much about it until she was asking for some more money. And I said, no, I can't do that. And then she lifted up her skirt. Oh wow! No panties on. Oh. And I'm a pretty modest guy. Remember, I was a slut back then, but I became really modest and conservative. I just turned around and was like, whoa, what just happened? Then the pieces started coming together in my head. A thousand pound weight 
upon my shoulders started actually pressing in, you know, and you start starting to calculate the weight of what just happened. Yeah. And it's not just a young girl who exposed herself to me. The question was, what did this young girl have to live through in order to feel comfortable to do that? Yeah. That was the real question. So later that night, as I just, we did a little debrief, but I went back into my room and I was really disturbed about what I experienced that day. And one of my good friends who was on the trip sat next to me and he just watched me wept. And we both wept yeah, with this yeah. kid. I didn't know what to do. You know, my friend, he's a doer. He kind of sees this problem and he just does. He just gets involved. And he's like, what are you going to do about that, John? I don't, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, God. I just don't know. And then we just sat there and we prayed. And then I just felt this passion in my, like every fiber of my body that said, as long as I have breath, I will fight this. So I think that was the beginning of shift freedom. It was a commitment to God. It really was. I was like, listen, man, <laughs> I can't even imagine how, th- how much this burdens your heart because you're the one who created that child. You're the one who designed that child for a purpose. And somehow a sinful man comes along and interrupts that purpose. Mm-hmm. And it's evil. And it's fully evil. It's one of the most evil things on the planet is to rape a child. Yeah. And I just thought to myself, man, if I could be a part of something along the way to heal that or prevent it, I'm in. I just don't know what it is, God. Yeah. And so, and, and we discovered about a year later what it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it took some time, but yeah, that just. I can see how yeah, that, yeah. that would just be, you know, there's pivotal points in our lives where we just feel completely wrecked to the point where it can paralyze us from wanting to do anything forward. You know, it's, it's interesting because I wanted to share with those that are listening. This is, it's kind of the, intersection of where John and I met. You had already been doing your ministry in India for quite some time, but Shift was fairly new. You had already done one conference, but John and I had the chance to meet over a music festival. We had booth at Heaven Fest, and then we end up having this great conversation and find out we have different ministry connections and different film connections. And then through the next couple of months of just a friendship of working together and getting to share different parts of our, our heart and our ministry. I somehow talk about my story of previously dating an addict that was addicted to pornography, but then how pornography usually plays into sex trafficking. And I remember you had asked for me to pray about getting involved in this thing that was student-led, but it was fighting human trafficking. And I didn't even have to pray about it. I was, I, I was just like, yes, absolutely. And, you know, it's so interesting because this podcast is all about transitions and anyone can relate to what it's like to go from a job to a job or from single life to married life for those that are married or married to kids. But the idea of calling and finding your calling and finding your purpose, I think a lot of time is that your deepest burden colliding with your greatest gifts and how are you going to use those together to change the world? And essentially that's what I see you doing. So getting to be invited to be part of the process of shift, you know, we're, we're in the place where it's, 
we've had four conferences. Tell me a little bit more about where where is Shift now? I know for those that are listening that aren't aware of what Shift has done in the past, we've done four conferences to host conversations about how we can be part of the solution of human trafficking, specifically sex trafficking. But with in light of COVID and lots of changes the last year, things are still evolving and changing. And Yeah, Wendy, I think COVID was a blessing in disguise. Past, what we did is ask people, come to us and we'll talk to you. Yeah. This time, what we're doing is we're coming to you to talk to you. Yeah. I mean, we're flipping the script on that a little bit. So we're creating a platform called Shift AI. The A means algorithm and I means intelligence. So we want to create an algorithm intelligence software platform that educates the community and small business and, the, and, and individuals about a sexual exploitation, pornography, social media, all the things, and, and to reduce the risk and to stop a generation from falling into sexual exploitation, purchasing sex and or becoming a criminal. And so I think we can do that and be a huge part of preventing the next generation. That's what Shift AI is where we're heading toward. We're creating a new brand and creating a new thing. And we're hopefully in the next, you know, 16 to 18 months, we'll be able to be able to launch something like that. One of the things I wanted to say, Wendy, as for anyone who's listening, because I'm looking at your whole thing. It's about the places between. I love this title. I think it's a great Mm -hmm. title. This doesn't work for everyone. But it works for me, and it's a little bit of like my philosophy. My philosophy is if you hesitate, your worst nightmares will come true. The other philosophy that I have is more people are afraid of success than they are afraid of failure. So a lot of people are like, well, I'm afraid of failure. My suggestion back to them is I think you're afraid of success more than you're afraid of failure. It's easy to fail, very hard to succeed. Interesting. Because yeah. once you succeed, you're asked to do it again. Yeah. If you fail, you're never asked again. A lot of people have used this euphemism of I'm afraid to fail. And I challenge them in saying, well, wait a minute. What if you're afraid of success? Because if wow. you get it, then you have to do it again. It's a lot easier to, to build something up and then not do it than it is to build something up and then take it across the finish line. That's very difficult to do. That has been a a little bit of something that I've been thinking more about is, you know, as I talk to other people and we talk about success or whatever that is, you know, it doesn't have to be financial success. It is maybe you just complete the vision or you hit the goal or you cross a benchmark or you cross a toll gate or whatever and stuff. But it's like, I really think most people are afraid of success Mm -hmm. and then they hesitate. So there's a lot of people out there with great ideas. I run across with people with ideas all the time. And I challenge them and give them new ideas. Or I I just go, wow, that's great. I'm going to support you. But rarely do I ever see those people get in the car and drive. They talk about the car. Right. They'll show you the plans of the car. But they never go into manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Because if they do, man, that car better drive. Totally. And so then I also talk about this thing about when you talk about the places between is like, listen, if the car's parked and it never moves, what the hell is it going to do? Nothing. But if it's just moving, yeah. <laughs> it could be yeah. going one mile an hour, but it's moving, you can actually shift that. The last thing is that when when we become so fearful of success or failure it's really about us 
it's really about me. It's not about the actual thing. I, I talk to people who are like, man, I can't stand fatherlessness in America. I can't stand the racism or I can't stand this or I can't stand that. But then they do nothing about it because they're so scared of either success or failure yeah. or something. It's really about them instead of the person they really care about. See, if yeah. you care about fatherlessness, you would actually do something for the fatherless. If you really cared about anti-trafficking, you would do something about the sexually exploited. But when you don't, my question back to you is, do you care that much or do you just kind of care? Now, that might be offensive to people saying, John, you're such a, you're being judgmental. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just asking the legitimate, honest question. You say you care about it. What you going to do? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and we see that all the time with, it's a sign of the times, like the, the social media and it's all the rage to post when something makes you angry or something is unjust. But like, once that has quote unquote fizzled out, where are we still in the fight? And one thing I want to jump into, you're an entrepreneur so even just talking about the successes and failures, you've probably experienced a couple of successes and a handful of failures, more or less, on both sides. For anyone that's listening, um, that's wired as an entrepreneur, what advice would you share with them? Let me talk to the, the believers. Okay. If you're a believer and you believe in the Word of God and you believe and trust in God then I'm not sure where, where the glass ceiling is. If there is a glass ceiling, I'm just curious who's putting it there. Yeah. Okay, so that's, that's sort of it. And I don't know how, <laughs> how high the glass ceiling is. Sometimes when I did my first couple businesses, the glass ceiling was pretty much on top of my head. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't even know Whoops. that I could stand up. And then that was self-imposed. My glass ceiling was self-imposed. Okay. When I think about the people who are like, you know, John, I love doing business. I want to, I want to do something that's really awesome. And I'm not a real, I'm not a Jesus freak or I don't care about God that much and stuff. I would say then this is that only you can impose your glass ceiling. Honestly, it, you, you can do that. If your vision is to do something that's going to cause impact, then put people around you who have the vision to cause impact in that. And so I think that's really good. I think you always need someone who is really going to be honest with you and press against you and be a good sounding board of reality. You can't have a vision that is out of reality because then that's going to have some failure points along Mm -hmm. the way more than not. So always having someone around you that says, hey, well, what about this? And what about that? And don't be afraid of being wrong. Like if you have a vision, allow it to be shaped with other people, you know, and then step aside and do your part and let other people do their part. Usually other people are, you know, filling in the gaps that you have. If you look at, you know, who John is, he's just a young guy, child of God who has a lot of gaps, but is open to people stepping into those gaps and saying, Hey, how about this? That's how you and I work together. Yeah. I have a big gap in my life and you fill it, right? I have things that I do with my businesses. I don't try to be you. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't, you know? So yeah. we work well together because of that. I don't try to be you. You don't try to be me. We fill in each other's gaps. And next thing you know, it moves forward. It actually yeah. does. And that's really good. So, Gosh, I feel like we could talk for hours. Yeah. <laughs> I just love the friendship that I have with you and Krista and 
Yeah. I know just the ebbs and flows of life. We've gotten to experience a lot of life in just a few short years. So tell me, how do you not take yourself too seriously and to actually enjoy life, even in some of the really hard and challenging things you're called to? Yeah, that's a really, really great question. My friend Terry Adams and I have seen a lot of things globally. And we do ask that question, how is it that we're so fun when we've seen so much darkness, Yeah, you know, and we've experienced so much darkness and crazy along the way. I think one of it is, is don't take yourself too seriously, but just being mature doesn't mean boring. Totally. Being an adult doesn't mean boring, although somehow it's been interpreted boring. But the other thing is, is what's really fun. It's not that much fun to go get drunk, inebriated, and then get into a DUI and then crash into someplace and then almost die. That's not fun. You know, what's fun is having great conversations and relationships and having different variations of relationships. Get outside your circle of your relationships. Try to get different types of culture involved. I think the other thing, too, is it's okay. It's okay to sit down in the dirt with a couple kids and play games with stones. I did that last okay. summer when we went. After you'd gone with me, Wendy, we went yeah. again to another. We went back again. I sat with a couple slum kids. Not that everyone has to do this, but you can do it with anybody else. We just sat with slum kids. And I sat in a corner of this dark alleyway with three girls. And we're playing these games with rocks. And here's what happened. A lot of um, past experiences came back. And we played for an hour and a half throwing up rocks and playing games. We used to be a culture that just enjoyed the laughing. So let's just get back to laughing. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I was I was on a walk earlier today and I was actually, you know, I was thanking God for a couple of things and I was I asked him something and I felt in my spirit that he was like, It's because you have childlike faith. And yeah. I was like almost undone of like, thank you, God, because I think the gift of faith is also something that he gives us. Yes. So, okay. Well, we are nearing the end of our time. My last question for you is what place are you between and what are you looking forward to? I just stepped into multiple areas. I, I feel like, you know, one room is my Vivo Blue room. So I've stepped into the role of being a CEO of Vivo Blue, founder and, and sales and all of that which stuff. Which is so your I'm, water filter. Which is my water filter company. And it's been yeah. really fun doing that. And so I'm, I'm entering that space. At the same time, I'm developing out of the Shift AI platform a way for me to walk out. So wow. it's really cool. So I'm trying, I want to build a team, build a platform, a sustainable situation where Shift AI will rise upon its own, build its own team, gather its members, and then eventually I can walk out. What I'm doing with Momentum Global in that is I'm also, again, building the team, but I am the visionary and there's I have one singular goal. And then when we achieve that, I will also walk out. But I'm stepping into fatherhood. And, I, and I've just barely stepped into husbandhood, you know, so I've stepped into husbandhood, stepped into fatherhood and all of that. And I always feel this is, you know, in life, you're either walking into a trial, you're in the trial or you're walking out. And that's about the three phases of life that we have. So you're about to go into a trial or you're in it or you're walking out of it. And so I have all of those in different areas of my life professionally, spiritually, where I am in right now is I'm in a very great spot where I just feel like, you know how you're laying 
in the meadows of the spirit of God and you just feel like really nestled. Yeah. I feel that, you know, I feel like I'm resting a little bit in the word of God. I'm nestled in and abiding in his spirit. And he's been just feeding me right now because I have enough going on. And he's like, let me, let me take a season to just feed you. And I'm waiting for the season when he's going to say, now I want you to teach. I know that's coming down the road. I know that's coming. And so it's just been a really cool space for me to just be like, okay, God is just filling me up because I'm also doing a bunch of baloney everywhere. (laughs) I just got all these pools going on. But I do know that he has has spoken to me a while ago that you will be a teacher of the word. And that doesn't mean pastor. I I don't, I don't think I'm a pastor, but it's something along the way. And and, and that's, that's sort of it. And building a legacy for my family and the next generation is actually where I'm also at. So I love that. Well, I know you are so good about pouring into the next generation and you and Krista both together are like a powerhouse couple. And (laughs) thank you. I'm just honored to call you friend and likewise. I'm so glad that listeners got to hear a little bit more of your story. Obviously, there's a lot more to John DeYoung. Um, <laughs> where can we find you? Well, you can find me in a lot of places, usually at a buffet. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> it's Chinese buffets, Korean restaurants, and sushi places. That's where yeah. you can find me. No, but you can you can find me at a shiftfreedom.org, Vivo Blue. Dot com and momentum.global. So those are the places you can find me online. And then if you just look up John DeYoung, I think something in social media, you might find me as well. So I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to sign off to our listeners, but hang in there and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Thanks, Wendy. Wow. Like what a life story. Like I feel like he's lived nine lives. <laughs> He probably has. We tease him. We tease him that he's like 67 years old because he doesn't really know how old he is because he was adopted from the street. Amazing. Blown away by the trajectory of his life and even the survival in him. And obviously God having a hand, you know, I think he has a hand on all of us and loves all Mm -hmm. of us and cares intimately about all of us, but just on him as a boy. And I don't think he went into how he was adopted exactly or how he was found. He was found on the streets of Korea. Like he has stories of how he was digging through the trash and he there, like he can kind of recall it, but then a Dutch family from the Midwest adopted him. But how neat is it that God used where he was as a child and then full circle. Now he's doing ministry to India, kids on the street, in the slums, anti-sex trafficking, all of this stuff. It's so amazing. It's so amazing. Like that survival, just the drive it took. And you, you can totally see that. Like then he goes to this foreign country with these foreign parents who probably love him. But just that, that idea of like, How does he get that need to, I have to be the thing that makes me survive, Mm -hmm. right? And that boldness and, and when he shared so vulnerably about that suicide attempt. Yeah. And he knew God, he was been introduced to God. He believed God was real, but man, how, what complex sense of 
emotions he had to feel. Cause like mm-hmm. even listening through him, I'm thinking, Oh man, the trauma, you know, at the beginning of the story, what's that trauma going to look like as a teen and as mm-hmm. an adult? Yeah. And, and yeah, they're just like, my mind is just spinning after that one. <laughs> and, then he, and then that Balor interview. Oh my <laughs> like, gosh. I don't want this job. You know? Totally. And, and again, I think almost like for, he had this huge opportunity, this multi-million dollar opportunity, and he left it to essentially teach high school, which is awesome. Right. But like in the, at least the world system <laughs> of what we think is like rad. Oh my gosh. Multi-million dollar dancer, like all these things. And then Christian high school teacher, you know, mm-hmm. of course we know how God sees things is totally different. You know what I mean? But going to that interview, like the boldness to go into that interview, like I don't want it. <laughs> and then God being like, yeah, actually, just kidding. You're yeah. not this. Well, and that just makes me think for listeners out there that are entrepreneurs, God wants you to get where you want to go even more than you do. So if you're wrestling with a dream or a calling or even something that you might not necessarily want, but God, you can feel God tugging on your heart to take that, I would say trust Him and let Him take you on that journey, just like John has. Yeah. And, and still going and just his experience with that, that little girl in India and how it moved him to such action. What a person to admire. Yeah. We hope you all enjoyed that talk with John as much as, as we did really. Thank you again for joining us on the places between please subscribe and also like and rate us. We would totally love that. And we so look forward to seeing you all again soon. I'm over here cheering you on, friend. You just finished another episode of the Places Between podcast. If you want to access more, be sure to subscribe or visit theplacesbetween.com to learn more about our guests, episode sponsors, upcoming retreats, and more. Like Stay in the Story, a 25-day devotional all about staying in your story while you wait on your dreams, on God, and on life to come to fruition. And lastly, if you're looking for an online community of people who also want to transition well, then come say hi over on Instagram at The Places Between. As always, thanks for taking time to dive into The Places Between. Until next time, keep enjoying that journey.